You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for FanRag Sports, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers, and you can find all of our website content at LockedOnPackers.com. You may have seen the announcement yesterday. Our partnership with FanRag is official. They are going to promote our content. They're going to house it. And it's great for me because I already write for them. You should already be going there and reading their their NFL content, their NBA content, all their content. But I was already part of the FanRag family. And and that only grows. And and I'm very happy about that. I've had a a blast working with them and writing for them. So uh, I appreciate you continuing to support my work and the other great people that I work with, those talented people. Please continue to go. And if you haven't, go to FanRag NFL. One thing before we get into the podcast, a procedural note. I mentioned this earlier in the week. We have changed platforms. So we are moving from Audio Boom to Panoply. That means you can no longer find the new podcasts at the Audio Boom site if that is where you go to get them. If you're a subscriber, and I hope that you are, it, your RSS feed will not be interrupted. Nothing will change. I encourage you to subscribe, and, and look, we've had some, some great growth on the podcast, expanded the audience, which I'm, which I'm thrilled about, and just imagine what our audience could be if everyone listening told one of their friends who cheers for the Packers about this podcast. I know that seems corny, I know that seems silly, but if you like the show, support the show, support me, and support all of the Locked On Packer Nation by growing the tent, bringing more people into the fold. We can grow the community. I hope we can grow the community. So let's do that and and help out. Do your part. I'd appreciate it. Do it for me. And if you don't do it for me, do it for your grandma. She's a Packers fan. She is. Bet. We are going to have Ben Fennel on the show tomorrow. There were some scheduling issues uh, and we couldn't make it work for today. So we're going to have him on tomorrow. But that's okay because I've got a lot to say. And I'm sorry if that disappoints you, but I watched back the game today, spent hours combing through the All-22. The discussion that was had yesterday between Michelle and I about this Packers defense. I told you on Monday that this, this game was not the defense's fault. I still firmly, firmly believe that. The offense, particularly in the second half, and we're going to get to the offense, did not hold up its end of the donkey. But the defense is just in the wrong positions. I I went through and I tried to chart the different targets, who Drew Brees was throwing on. And you know what I found? So Kevin King had a bad day. We knew this. I went through and did my own charting. The the numbers that I gave earlier in the week were Pro Football Focus's data. I went back and, and did my own count. And I charted every individual throw that that was targeting a specific player. So that was 
whether they were in man or zone coverage, if someone was guarding a New Orleans Saint, they were considered having been targeted. Okay? And here's the interesting thing that I found. I could only account for 229 yards of offense through the air. And that's including run after catch. That is not just air yards. The reason that's weird is Drew Brees had 331 yards in this game. And so where are those extra yards coming from? Well, they're coming from zone coverage where the defense isn't covering anyone. Now, that's not quite true. There, Some people are covering other some people's. But other, other receivers are being allowed to run free. Part of that is a communication problem. Some of that is just soft zone coverage. This defense is not designed for soft zones. They brought in athletes. They have a 4-4 cover linebacker now who's really a safety, Josh Jones. All three of their top three corners are 4-4 corners. Josh Hawkins also. Without Quentin Rollins, without Jake Ryan playing heavy minutes, this defense is fast. It's athletic. Let them cover man on man. That is why you have the speed. This has always been the inherent conflict of the Dom Capers, Ted Thompson marriage. Dom Capers likes complexity. He likes trap coverage. He likes robber coverage. He likes creativity. He likes scheme knowledge, things that you need to, you need to have intricate knowledge of the defense to run. And Ted Thompson wants to turn over the roster, new players, more athletic players, younger players. Well, those things don't mesh. How do you fix that? You say, you got that guy, you got that guy, you got that guy, you got that guy. Let's go. That's why, you, that's why you draft Kevin King. That's why you draft Josh Jones. Let them go cover in space. Let them take a man for a man. And, and what's even more interesting about the targeting data, Kevin King, I said this, had a bad game. Five catches on five targets for 143 yards. Okay? Demarius Randall, one catch, nine yards on two and a half-ish targets. There was a play where... He was playing safety oddly, and Blake Martinez was in underneath zone coverage, and Breeze fitted in between them for 20 yards. He also had a pick. Kentrell Bryce gave up one catch on two targets for five yards. Devon House gave up three catches on six targets for 22 yards with a pick. Haha Clinton Dix, one catch on two targets, nine yards. Josh Hawkins, one catch, one target, six yards. Josh Jones, one catch, two targets, one yard. Blake Martinez, three catches on three targets for 34 yards, plus that combo play. And on all three, by the way, he came up, form tackled, and, and stopped the ball carrier in his tracks. All of those numbers, if you, if you take Kevin King, who's a rookie, and he's going to have up and down days, you take those numbers in isolation, they are awesome. The best plays that this defense made on Sunday was when the corner was in the receiver's hip pocket. When they're playing man coverage, even on the interception, Demarius Randall makes a play down the field. He carries his man down the field. Everyone else seems to be in zone. He's in man. Kentrell Bryce is over on the left guarding um, no one. They're so afraid of getting beat deep that they're playing soft underneath with a safety over the top sometimes too. All they want to do is get depth. And when you're doing that, you're allowing the New Orleans Saints to make underneath plays. First first play, first pass play of the game. Packers come out in a two-shell zone. They go screen to Alvin Kamara for 24 yards. Later in the drive, screen to Kamara, 14 yards. This was something they did regularly. 
They attacked underneath. Screen to Ted Ginn, 17 yards. They got the ball out quick, and with the Packers bailing, they weren't in a position to make a play until the back is already 5, 10, 15, 20 yards down the field. That is not a sustainable way to play defense, and it's not the way you're built to play. The Packers have the athletes now to attack teams differently. And if they're not going to do it, why are you drafting the athletes? They don't have a ton of experience. Devon House is the most experienced corner on this team, and he's 28. This is a young, talented team, athletically. They're not good at it. So why why is it happening? Why, With all the guys that are in and out of the, of the game, you're playing a, with a rookie corner, a rookie linebacker, a backup safety, and Capers is trying to do, trying to trick Drew Brees. You're not going to trick Drew Brees. So man up on the outside, drop your guys in coverage, blitz judiciously, and and see where you're left. Just do it for one game. And look, the, the Cincinnati game, they played a lot of man coverage. And A.J. Green got his a little bit. But they don't play A.J. Green every week. Packers defense was also banged up in that game. So there's some extenuating circumstances. But this defense used to be aggressive. They used to be in your face. They used to play bump and run. They used to play press man. They used to jam receivers at the line of scrimmage and cover them down the field. They used to travel. Sam Shields used to used to follow Calvin Johnson around. Sam Shields isn't Richard Sherman. But part of it was a mindset. We don't have to do anything special to try and beat you. I'm just going to line up against you, and I don't think you can do what you want while I try and stop you. There is value in that, especially a young, athletic defense that wants to be aggressive. Damaris Randall does not want to play his own coverage. Josh Jones does not want to play his own coverage. They want to come downhill. They want to make plays. They want to tackle guys. Kevin King, for as bad as he was in coverage, tackled tremendously in this game, made some plays at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage. This team wants to attack, so let them attack. Please, for the love of God, Dom, let them attack. Now, I mentioned the pro football focus numbers earlier. If you want the pro football focus numbers, you can get them. And one of the ways you can get them is you can enter our pro football focus edge subscription giveaway. All you need to do is go to iTunes and leave a review for this podcast. We are locked on Packers, still always have been. Put your name and your Twitter handle in that review, and you could be entered, well, you will be entered to win a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. Every week on the Locked On Podcast Network, we will pick one lucky fan and they will win a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription, a $39.99 value with player grades, with tools, with charts, with all the data that I present regularly, charting data. We do need to get back to the offense because after watching the, the game more intensely, it's, it's much easier to see on the coach's film than, than the, the broadcast what the quarterback is looking at, what the receivers are doing on their routes. Live, I was I had a problem with a lot of the conservative play calling and the ugly route design. On second watch, I think Brett Hundley played worse than I thought he did originally, and the play calling was worse than I thought it was originally. Hundley played much looser against Minnesota. He was hit, he was hitting his back foot and letting it fly, and it it caused him to to throw two picks that were not ideal. The first one was a ricochet on a on just a bad read, a bad throw. He predetermined where he was going. Ball gets tipped. Xavier Rhodes makes a one-handed play. The Harrison Smith one, he doesn't see Harrison Smith, but Harrison, the reason he doesn't see him is because he's not in the picture and Harrison Smith makes an incredible play for an interception. And the third one 
he's getting crushed. End of the game. I don't, I don't fault him for that one. But he was letting the ball fly with confidence. He was overthinking in this game. That's what it looked like. He was processing slowly. And I, he doesn't process slowly. He will hold on to the ball at times because he's not seeing things cleanly. But most of the time, he is a hit the back foot and make a throw kind of quarterback. And he did that against Minnesota pretty consistently. Now, there were a couple of plays where he hung in there, made throws from a muddy pocket, and looked good. Other plays pretty consistently on the plays where where he was either checking down or a couple times when he threw the ball away. He had receivers open. He just needed to let it go. Just let it rip. There were also a handful of plays where he had a man. He, see, he sees him. He's getting ready to let it rip. And all of a sudden, there's Cameron Jordan. Cameron Jordan played outstanding in this game. He was all over the field. Now, all of that said, in the second half, Mike McCarthy played this game not to lose. I mean, a ton, a ton of two tight ends with a fullback, single receiver kind of stuff. 22 personnel is what it's called. That is dead giveaway run. Now they did, they run some, they ran some play action, I think twice off that. But the Saints did not, they did not have any respect for this passing game at all. They played single high the entire game, crowded the box. I mean, there were there were there were plays where all 11 guys were within 12 or 13 yards of the line of scrimmage because they just didn't they didn't believe that Brett Hundley could beat them down the field. And he didn't. And part of that was was the design of the offense because when you're when you're playing so conservatively by formation, when you're out there with two tight ends and two backs or even just two tight ends and a back and you're running max protect and you've got three guys in the formation, that are going out for passes, you've got seven Saints defenders on the back end. And the crazy thing is the Packers receivers were still getting open occasionally. Hundley just couldn't find them. And overall, the Packers receivers were open all day. The Saints probably game plan differently if Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, but if Rodgers is the quarterback, the Packers win by two touchdowns easily because the Saints defense, corners couldn't cover these receivers. Hundley was just a split second slow to process. Wasn't seeing it cleanly. He did make a couple plays where he escaped pressure to make a throw, which was great to see. There was a throw to Jordy Nelson where Jordy Nelson was held and he still made the throw after escaping the pocket. The scramble would have been that. I mean, Jordy Nelson is open twice for a touchdown. Hundley's able to make a play with his legs, and that's fine. You expect a young quarterback is going to miss some of those those opportunities because he sees green grass and it's time to take off. I would say it, it is not the case that if the first read wasn't there, he was trying to take off. The offensive line did not play great in the passing game in this game. They were outstanding as run blockers. The running game over seven yards a carry, despite the fact that the Saints crowded the box all day. It's pretty amazing what this run game was able to do. But it makes the fact that the passing game couldn't get on track even more disappointing because when the running game is helping that much, you have to be able to create down the field. And one of the things that they didn't do is they just were so predictable by formation that the Saints were just reading their mail all day. Oh, hmm. Bill, 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 credit card, credit card. Ooh, Victoria's Secret. I mean, all day. Green Bay was predictable by formation. All of the all of the bread and butter plays in the offense, some of the little screen, none of the screen plays worked, the, the built-in single read type plays. The Saints were school. They, they saw it coming. And Green Bay had no counters. They had no answers. And I wrote about this for SB Nation yesterday. I watch, I watch Brett Hundley in, I see talent. I see ability. And I understand that he's raw. And I think he played tight in this game. He overthought it. 
McCarthy also did not did not do his best in this game. He admitted it, and I've said it all week. I'm not piling on. I'm not criticizing McCarthy as a human. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a great coach. He didn't bring it this week. And it happens. And we don't often talk about it in terms of when he does a good job, and I think that's not fair. That's why I've tried to mention it this week, that I think he's a good coach who had a bad game. He has been awesome this season as a coordinator, as a play caller, as a schemer of offense, especially given all the injuries. Now it's time to show what kind of schemer and play caller you are without the best player on planet Earth. Because this conservative game plan, I mean, there there was a third and 10 call in the fourth quarter where none of the routes were past the sticks. I mean, talk about taking the ball out of the hand of your quarterback. You cannot spend all week talking about how much confidence you have in Brett Hundley and then have this game plan. You just can't. They don't, they don't jive. I'm hoping the self-scout allows them to add some wrinkles. The extra week allows them to put in some things that that play to Brett Hundley's strength. I wrote about it for SB Nation. The RPO can be their friend. Green Bay already runs these. We, we normally hear about the RPO with Green Bay as a pre-snap option. It's a run call, but if Rodgers wants to, to rise and fire to a receiver on the edge, if the corner's playing off, he can do that. But the kind of RPOs that the rest of the league is running is out of shotgun with a running back to one side of the quarterback. They have the option to hand the ball off or throw it. And the mesh point, which is where the quarterback puts the ball in the lap of the running back, is used as a reading point. The, the quarterback can give the ball depending on what he sees or he can he can fire it. The great thing about that mesh point is if those linebackers take a step forward, they open up the lane behind them. One of the bread and butter RPOs is you have the, the running back option. Green Bay has it. They also have it where it's just a straight play fake, play action. No, there's no option to give the ball to the running back. It just looks that way to hold the linebackers. And then you put a slant in behind. They vacate the area. You put a receiver there, touchdown. Packers ran a touchdown to Devontae Adams against the Bears with that play. It is in their offense. So so just run it. They ran the zone read with Brett Hundley on Sunday. Why can't they run the RPO? Doug Peterson has made Carson Wentz an MVP candidate in Philadelphia thanks to the RPO. Brett Hundley ran the RPO a ton at UCLA. It was, a, it was an integral part of the offense there. It should be an integral part of what Green Bay does. Because look, Aaron Jones is on his way to being a star. He's played four games out of a possible seven, started two of them. He's already top 20 in the league in rushing. They still have Ty Montgomery who can be a capable back. This running game is good enough right now. And the defense can be good enough. This offense can be good enough. Zach Cruz, who runs Packers Wire, and and who I swear I'm going to get on this podcast one of these days. He's so busy. And we keep saying, you know, let's find a time, let's find a time. And, and it's hard to find a time. He pointed out that... Between now and December 17th, that's a long time from now, other than the Pittsburgh Steelers, there is not one team on the schedule that currently has a winning record. December 17th, by the way, the earliest Aaron Rodgers can come back. That means there is one one team with a winning record, and Green Bay does have to go on the road in that game against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is, is, if not the best team, the second best team in football right now. That was probably a loss even even with Rodgers. But that means winnable games. They have to win them. They don't have to win all of them. They should win some of them. And speaking of Rodgers, before we get out of here, I have to mention that the Packers cut Don Barclay on Tuesday, which which does undercut part of the reporting that Ian Rappaport did around the Aaron Rodgers um, will not return from IR story that he did over the weekend. Part of that reporting said that the Packers, one of the reasons why they they 
weren't going to hold out hope for Rodgers was they wanted to get Jason Spriggs and Don Barclay off the IR, and, and you only get two IR boomerang spots. This was always the, the most tenuous part of what Rappaport reported. Because it's hard for me to believe any team would say, well, we can't hold out hope for our all-world quarterback because we have to bring back two bad offensive linemen. And so I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that his reporting is wrong. I'm saying either someone, someone said something and Rappaport thought it was more important than it was, or he got lied to. But, or something changed in the last 48 hours, which seems unlikely. So I don't think anything has changed in terms of the Rodgers timeline. I think we're going to we're going to we're going to have to wait until we get closer to Thanksgiving where we know when when the timeline that that has been out there that 6 week timeline gets closer to well he could start doctors think he could start practicing in a week. Doctors think he could he could be healthy enough to throw in a week. That's when we'll know what the timeline is. Until then we won't know. Ben Fennel tomorrow. And that'll be our final show of the week. We're not going to go to Friday this week because there's no injury report. There's there's going to be minimal going on with the Packers at least at least we assume so if there's some, something crazy happens sure we'll hop on the show Ben Fennel tomorrow and then it's on to the Lions and we'll have a full week of shows and then the weird thing is Monday is going to mean no recap so we'll have to find something else interesting to talk about I'm sure there'll be plenty and then we'll hold off on the scouting report until the following Monday because Green Bay doesn't have a game next week it's not until technically the following week on Monday so there's going to be a lot of content coming at you, a lot of shows between now and the next Packer game. And if you want to catch it, you have to stay locked on Packers. <laughs>